Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. It's, it's the, the WGN, WGN Radio Theater Pro- Program 463 in the series, April 4th, 2020. To my right, the vivacious Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? I'm great. I'm just going to say that I'm actually to your left, but yep. You are to my left. <laughs> you know, we're not in the studio. No, we're not in the studio. We're in the, when we're in the studio, I'm on your right, but yeah, today I'm on true. your left. But are you social distanced enough from me? I hope so. I'm about, what, maybe six feet from yeah, you. So that's yeah. pretty good. Well, we're here for the next five hours to present family-friendly classic radio shows. Get your mind off all the craziness that's going on in the world uh, in this first hour. Broadway is my beat. Hour two will have The Adventures of Red Rider. Then it's The Shadow, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, and Fibber McGee and Molly. And then all along the way, we will have another five-part Yours True. Johnny Dollar series. It's called The Laird Douglas Douglas of Heather Scote Matter, starring Bob Bailey going back to 1956. I did want to mention that not this week, but next Saturday night mm-hmm. will be our five-year anniversary wow. here on WGN Radio. Five years. So we uh, will, I don't know what we'll do, but we will have some type of celebration because <laughs> we really do appreciate our listeners and the support that we've gotten at WGN for five full years. Yeah, it's a, it's such an honor to be on such an amazing radio station. Of course, we're not on live tonight. We taped uh, this show a few days ago at Mike Estella's house. Thankfully, he's set up a studio for us. And if you want to see a picture of that, where can they see the picture well, of us? Well, I'm going to take one, and okay. then it'll be post with the podcast okay. for this show, and you can uh, see our, our new digs here for yeah. a while. It's cozy. It sure it's, is, but, but still six feet apart cozy. All right. When we come back from this break, it's Broadway is my beat. Stick around. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. We'll be here till three o'clock in the morning. We're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. till three o'clock in the morning, bringing you your favorite classic radio shows. And don't forget, we have five classic radio shows that are yours free as our thank you for listening to the show. Just go to 100radioshows.com. Go to that website, 100radioshows.com. You will instantly be able to digitally download five classic shows. What are the five classic radio shows? Uh, We've got Jack Benny, Suspense, Richard Diamond, Private Detective, Fibber McGee and Molly, and Gunsmoke. Yes, indeed, <laughs> Lisa. Very good. Five shows for you folks waiting at 100radioshows.com. And if you decide to purchase any of the other hundreds and hundreds of classic radio shows there, make sure you use the promo code RADIO. Yeah, you will save 70% off your order. What a great way to build your collection, save some money, and also get some five, these five free shows. I feel like Groucho Marx. The secret word is... Secret word is... Radio. That's right. All right, it's time now for Broadway Is My Beat, good detective series that came to radio in 1949, lasted until 1954. Larry Thor starred as Times Square detective Danny Clover, and this was really a realistic series. It sounded like you were truly in New York City. They had the Times Square sounds as you were listening to the show, although it was broadcast out of Los Angeles. And uh, some of the supporting characters, Charles Calvert as Sergeant Gino Tartaglia and Jack Crucian as Sergeant Mugavin. This broadcast is from February 10th, 1950. It's called Julie Dixon Case. Here's Larry Thor And Broadway is my beat. Broadway's my beat. From Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, 
the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Broadway, it's the journey you have to make, because all the other streets you ever walked never paid off. But Broadway's different. It twists you into the nighttime, and you whirl your puppet dance with the spinning lights. It rocks you and throws you up in the air and beats you against the wall. And you can't quit, because Broadway never does. That's how it is on Broadway. My Beat. People go to wrestling matches for a variety of reasons. For a change of pace from their own domestic strangleholds. For laughs. For motives which make footnotes in textbooks. And at the bout between Max Magnificent and the Panther Man, the faces and the reasons were up to par. I was there because pressure from upstairs ordered me to be there. They said a man was there who was trying to keep a big secret. They said to drop everything, to see him right now. Right now, he was sitting on the aisle near the tunnel entrance. I walked up to him and nodded. Well, what do you want, Danny? Just talk, Melvin, that's all. Well, I'd like to watch this Max Magnificent, Danny. He's... The first fall's not due for ten minutes yet. You'll be back before then. Come on, we can talk in the tunnel. All right. Well, what do you want? Julie Dixon. What about her? What about her? Forget you're a big criminal lawyer, Melvin. Make believe you're not quibbling in a courtroom. Make believe there's just you and me. Where's Julie? Forget it, Danny. You know better than that. Forget it. I can't do it that way. The papers are screaming about a Cinderella girl named Julie Dixon. They waste a lot of type about a poor, poor girl getting engaged to a rich, rich lawyer named Alex Melvin. You. Now Julie's gone. In a puff of smoke, they say. Today they've coined a new phrase. Foul play. She's around. She'll be back. Maybe. Only the foul play phrase bothers the police department. You going to help us? Danny. Danny, forget it, huh? Lay off. I'll find Julie. I've got friends. That's why I've got to say it again. Danny, lay off. I mean it. Uh Uh-uh. Cinderella girls are always public property. The public's screaming. I thought you'd help, Melvin. Now it's got to be done my way. My way was to a penny arcade on Broadway and the sharpest little stool pigeon I had named Marty. I told him to sing it around that I knew a lot about Julie Dixon's disappearance, that I was primed to make an arrest. And with Marty saying the words I'd put in his mouth, someone might believe them. And that someone might make a move. And I needed that to help me find a lost, strayed, or stolen Cinderella girl. I waited for Marty's call, and I fell asleep waiting. And then a bell exploded. At two o'clock in the morning, it couldn't stand it anymore, and it exploded. Danny Clover speaking. Marty? No, it's not Marty. I'm inviting you to a party, Danny. Want to come? Who is this? A girl. Pier 38, East River, Danny, 3 a.m. an hour from now. You're the guest of honor. It's for Julie Dixon, the party, so you'll make it, huh, Danny? All alone? Wouldn't go any other way. Thanks. I didn't wait for three o'clock. 
I left for the East River docks right away. Maybe I was going to be a little early, but I was being a little eager. Pier 38 occupied about 50 front feet of the darkness and lent its own quality of shadows to it. Toward the river, a couple of tugs huddled together. To my right and left, equipment shacks. I should have been looking toward the stern, because that's where it came from. I say there, come out of it. Uh, I beg your pardon. Come, 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 wake up. I say you're quite unintelligible, you know. Now, there, now, open your eyes. Now, then, isn't that better? Good morning. Huh? I said good morning. I greeted you. Oh, I greet you. Good morning. Good morning. Where's all this greeting taking place? At the Ashton Hotel, room 312, New York City. And you're... Rupert. Rupert. How did I get here, Rupert? I found you on Pier 38. Did you hit me first on the back of the head, Rupert? Oh, no, 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 no. But I did kick you. That is, I stumbled over you. That's what made me know you were there. I brought you here in a cab. What were you doing on Pier 38, Rupert? Well, sir, every night, every night after the matches, I go to the waterfront and look toward England and make a wish... The same wish, sir, that I was back in Crofton on Willow. Why aren't you back there, Rupert? Because I'm not. Max Magnificent doesn't wrestle in England until the summer. Max Magnificent? Yes, of course. I'm his valet. I spray the ring for him, carry his robe. Rupert. Where's Max? The Magnificent is in the next room, having his hair done. Thanks, Rupert. Uh, Will you be staying to breakfast, sir? Kipper's in ten minutes. Well, well, I see you're up and around. Glad to see it. Max Magnificent wishes he could sleep that well. How do you like it? No, I don't mean Maple the hairdresser. I mean my hair. The flamingo bob, I call it. Fancy, huh? Fancy. Well, here it is. I got it all ready for you. Autograph, photograph of Max Magnificent. Look what it says. To an all-American lad from your idol, Max Magnificent. Fancy. Can I talk to you without the hairdresser? With my hair half up in curlers? You kidding, baby? Go ahead, talk to me. Mabel doesn't understand nothing except hair anyway. Talk. Talk to me. Maybe I'm being coincidental, Max. Mabel, comb the curls. Don't yank them out of my head. Uh, you're saying? A man I know came to see you wrestle last night when he was supposed to be worried, Max. A man named Alex Malvern. Oh, Max Magnificent welcomes him to the ever-growing list of his staunch admirers. Hey, I did that good. Yeah, and Alex Melvin worries because his fiancée, one Julie Dixon, is missing. I talked oh, to him. Oh, worried, huh? Then I got slugged. Then I wake up in the tender care of Rupert, valid for Max Magnificent. Hey, that makes a circle, huh? Go ahead, go ahead. This is real goose pimply talk. What's with Julie Dixon, Max? You know? Oh, asking me questions with no sense. Finish me, Mabel. This guy just got boring. What about Julie Dixon? Mabel, hand me the mirror. Julie Dixon. Oh, the flamingo bob. The fans will eat it up. You know something, you, mister, standing there, I can't hear you no more. You better go, mister. Mabel's got to sent me. The lavender, Mabel. Max Magnificent swept up the train of his magnificent brocaded robe with a hairy paw swept up Mabel, his lady barber, 
with his other hairy paw, motioned me magnificently to the door, and through it all maintained the magnificent grace and delicacy of a quaffed and perfumed gorilla. All that magnificence deserved some historical research, so I put a call through to Sergeant Tataglia to get on it, to bring me up to date on how and why and when and where Max and Rupert got so magnificent, so regally considerate of a poor beaten-up policeman. And then I went back to the beginning, and the beginning was the lawyer, Alex Melvin. Sure I can't offer you a drink, Danny? A noon cocktail to take the bitter taste out of your mouth? You've come a long way, Melvin. I can remember when it was a toss-up who'd get to where mayhem was first, you or me. <laughs> you mean I was a shyster, an ambulance chaser? It doesn't shame me, Danny. We all have to grub for nickels one way or another. Here's to you, Danny. I told you at the wrestling matches. It bothers us police about Julie Dixon. Gets worse all the time. So I see. Those black and blue marks, Danny. They hurt, don't they? I know they hurt. Because I know. A girl you were going to marry. The papers said the brightest torch you ever carried. The papers said true. She disappears. You don't even cry. You don't even ask for help. Is that how it gets when you're big, Melbourne? You see the walnut paneling in my office, Danny? It cost a fortune. This private bar upholstered in Florentine leather. A fortune. Those golden girls, my secretaries, who wait on me hand and foot like I was a king. Also a fortune. None of this I got by asking anybody for help. So we've got nothing more to say to each other, huh, Danny? Glad you dropped in, though. I enjoyed that, Melvin. I speak only as a jury of one, but it was very impressive. I really enjoyed it. Out, Danny. I'm busy. You're going to throw me out, Melvin? Because that's how it'll have to be. There are lots of ways. One way, I could pick up the phone, talk to a friend. This friend listens when I talk. And because he listens, they could put you in the middle of Fifth Avenue, helping visitors dodge the terrible traffic. Do that, Maverick. Maverick. Do it. Danny. Now you've got a good reason. Danny. A better one. Do it. Danny, Danny, take it easy. Here's the phone, King. Call your friend. Forget it, Danny. Forget it. Forget I ever said it. I, I only thought it would be better if I found Julie in my own way. That's all there is to it, Danny. I swear. When did she disappear? Five days ago. We were in a cab going to a theater thing. Cab slowed down for a light, and all of a sudden, Julie jumps out. I, I haven't seen her since. She didn't say anything? Leave anything? Just a bag with all her money in it. She didn't even say goodbye. She'd been acting funny for days. She was... Where's the bag? Here, right right here, Danny. Take it if you want. Yeah. Lipstick. Compact. Money. Hey. What, Danny? This newspaper clipping. This picture of Max Magnificent. You didn't tell me about that. Why should I? It doesn't mean anything. Julie liked wrestling matches. Maybe Max Magnificent was a hero. She made me take her to see him once. Yeah. Fix your $20 tie, Malvern. It got wrinkled somehow. It deserved a social call on Max Magnificent. But I was polite. I phoned first. Which was the proper thing to do because he wasn't at his hotel. The Magnificent had gone to the armory early, they said. He needed time to perfume his person and his dressing room before his performance tonight, they said. However, I could talk to his valet, they said. I said, no thanks. (laughs) 
At the deserted armory, I followed Max's spoor down a long cavern and into a whitewashed dressing room. That brought me face to face with Rupert. Oh, Mr. Clover, how very nice of you to be here when I need you so desperately. Later, Rupert. Where's Max? Magnificent. He's there. That on the floor in the corner. He sleeps on concrete because he's so rugged. The Magnificent is not asleep, Mr. Clover. He's dead. What? You see, Mr. Clover? Yeah. Yeah, I see, Rupert. I didn't touch him, Mr. Clover, so you police would find him just as I found him only a moment ago. That is the custom, isn't it, Mr. Clover? Yes, Rupert. <laughs> that knife, it is back. That means he was... Murdered. Murdered? The Magnificent is dead, Mr. Clover. Long live the Magnificent. Broadway is a place that can fool you. Can walk by the lost and the broken and the dying without batting an eye. But when one of its own lies dead, Broadway tears its collective breast, dons the sackcloth and ashes, and sends up a shrieking lament that can be heard round the world. And for a little while, you believe it. You believe Broadway is heartbroken because death came on a man who called himself Max Magnificent and stuck a knife in his back. You believe Broadway has found torment because it lost a Cinderella girl named Julie Dixon. Then you take a good look at Broadway and you know you're out of your mind. But you stay with it because you're a cop. And as a cop, you're Broadway's conscience. And as a conscience, you've got a helper, namely Sergeant Gino Tartaglia. Danny, sometimes when I can't go to sleep nights, I analyze my relationship with you. And? And I have come to the, to the conclusion that I am what is technically known as a mother's helper. <laughs> and I'm very proud of you, Gino. Ah, Danny, stop it. <clears throat> well, item one. The boys in the lab say that after a detailed check of the fingerprints of Max Magnificent, he turns out to be an ordinary human being with a name as common as Clover or Tartaglia. Oh? Yeah, honest, Danny. Max Magnificent was none other than Joe Warner. Joe Warner, huh? And Joe Warner was none other than, than who, Tartaglia? Oh, a guy who we once picked up for attempted blackmail, Badge again. Who was the girl? Uh, that we don't know, but we're still working on it. Item two... The missing girl, Julie Dixon, is known to have withdrawn her entire savings from the Corn Exchange Bank the day before said Julie Dixon disappeared. How much savings? A goodly sum, $3,000. As you say, goodly. Maybe that explains why she didn't need her bag when she jumped out of Melbourne's cab. Yeah, possibly, Danny. Well, may I continue? Oh, please do. Item three. Detective Mugovan is even now on the tail of the famous and renowned lawyer Alex Malvern. And Detective Kenny is even now on the tail of Rupert the Valet. And Julie Dixon's description? The description? Description, Tartaglia. It's out. Any reports on it? No, no, Danny. Well, get on it, Tartaglia. Check again. Every railway station, every pawn shop, every everything. You'll remember, won't you, Tartaglia? Oh, I promise, Danny. Oh, I, I just remembered. I forgot something. Oh, I'm glad for you, Tartaglia. Oh, thank you, Danny. I just remembered you got a call from someone named Sophie Wojcikowski. Huh? Yeah, Sophie Wojcikowski. She skates on roller skates at the roller derby at Madison Square Garden. She says, come meet her at the 8 tonight. There's something about Julie Dixon. She said... Danny! Danny, can I help her? I forgot. I got so much on my mind. Mrs. Tartaglia, the kids... (laughs) 
If your name's Sophie Wojciechowski, I am. Oh, you don't have a scorecard, huh? Else you'd know. Everybody knows number 12 is Sophie Wojciechowski. I'm Danny Clover. Oh. What about Julie Dixon, Sophie? Oh, Julie and me used to borrow our skate key from the same guy. How long ago was that? Oh, years and years and years. I mean, we grew up together practically. Then we grew up, then she got married, then she went away, then I never heard of her. Then yesterday came. Yesterday was something special? Not especially special, except a guy called me upon the telephone and asked me if I knew the whereabouts of Julie. I told him no, because I don't. Then the guy said a bad word and hung up. What guy? The guy I was talking to upon the telephone. Oh, you mean his name. Uh-uh, he didn't say. Now, let's go back a little bit. You said Julie was married to a man named Joe Warner? That I don't know. Except I heard from sources close to the roller rink that he deserted her. Ran away to Texas, I heard. This was about three years ago. Then the reason you called was to tell me about the phone call. Well, not exactly. You see, I saw Julie yesterday. Later, after the guy called upon the telephone. Huh? Sure, she said she was broke. She came to borrow some money. How much did you lend her? Not a cent. Because that's how much I had at the time. She said thank you and walked out of my life again. Oh. The woman's team will take their places. One minute. Hey, look, I gotta go now. That's all I know, Mr. Clover. So long. I watched Sophie clatter onto the track, watched her rabbit punch one of the contenders, trip another, sharp right cross to another, and then Sophie Wojciechowski had a clear field. It wasn't fun anymore, so I got out. And I began to add it up. Julie's husband had deserted her, Sophie said. And in Julie's bag had been a picture of Max Magnificent, who was Joe Warner. And Julie had gone through $3,000 fast, even for a girl like Julie. And the sum could be blackmail and murder. Except one factor was missing from the equation. Julie Dixon. And at headquarters, Sergeant Tataglia was being mother's helper like anything. Danny, I think what we boys got on is Julie Dixon will help you like anything. Oh? Yeah. Now, sit down, Danny. Sit down. This is big. You ready? We have discovered that Julie Dixon was married to Joe Warner, later Max Magnificent. And there is no indication that a divorce happened in the family. Uh, you're right, Tataglia. You've made a big discovery. Ah, thank you, Danny. Thank you. But uh, I have here another item that is not so happy. Rupert the Valet has disappeared from the tale of Kenny the Detective. What? Don't go away, Tartaglia. Oh, where would I go? Danny Clover speaking. Uh, Mr. Clover, I am Howard Jones, uh, the mentor of a sanctuary you people call a pawn shop. Yeah, we'll try to do better. Is that all you want? <laughs> Not what I want, Mr. Clover. What you people want. Julie Dixon. She was in my uh, place not an hour ago. How do you know it was Julie Dixon? She fits the description. Lots of women might. True, true. But uh, she pawned a platinum and diamond bracelet with her initials on the back of it. I gave her $50, but only because I'm a friend of man. Okay, okay. What name did she give you? Mary Smith. Address? Hotel at 2617 East 8th Street. Thank you, Howard Jones. Tartaglia. Yeah, Danny. Don't go away. I won't. Uh, hey, Danny, don't forget your hat. You the desk clerk? No, I'm the scrub lady, Mac. But I got worried there's no vacancy, so go try another flea bag, huh, Mac? This one suits me fine. I'm looking for a girl. Oh, in that case, you want the Lonely Hearts Club. 
three blocks down, up two flights. Tell him I recommend you for membership. A girl, Julie Dixon. What room is she in, scrub lady? For this, I got two answers. I doubt if one of our guests, if she has a name, Julie Dixon, would sign this same name on the register. Answer number two is why should I answer you at all, Mac? Good question. Good answer? Plain clothes, Dick. With badge to match, eh? Oh, impresses me. Tell me how much. This much, Mac. I am a room clerk in this hostelry. We have a guest, a gorgeous doll occupying our diplomat suit. It's possible this girl could be the girl whom you of the gendarmerie... What room? Try number 18. That's the suit with the washstand. If you want room service, just scream, huh, policeman? Get away from here. Your name, Julie Dixon? I said get away from here. Get away before I make it real tough for you. Go ahead. You ask for it, mister. Help! Help! Somebody help! Such a pretty dress. Ripping it won't help it at all. Somebody, please! Police! Please! That's me, police. What? Badge and all. Look. Okay, let's go inside. Police. That's right, Julie. Do you want to tell me now or later? Doesn't matter a whole lot. No. No, it doesn't. Nothing matters anymore. What do you want? Not so much. Just fill me in. You are paying blackmail. To whom? To a nursemaid. To a nursemaid to my husband. A nursemaid who called himself Rupert. He had something to sell you? Like this. My husband, Joe Warner. Joe Warner, a Max Magnificent, whatever you want to call him. I thought he was dead. We were never divorced, and I thought he was dead. What made you think your husband was dead when he wasn't? Papers. Joe was in Texas at the time. You know the time the tanker blew up? Texas City, a disaster in 47, huh? Papers listed a man named Joe Warner dead. I was certain it was my husband. He was in Texas City then. Yeah. They still don't know how many people died there, or who. So I met Alex Melvin... And I fell in love with him, and he fell in love with me, and we were going to get married. That's the way I am when I fall in love with a man, and he falls in love with me. So Joe changes his name to Max Magnificent, becomes a wrestler with a hairdo, and hires himself a valet named Rupert. Max, hairdo, and valet show up in New York, right? Yes. Rupert came to me and said he wanted money to keep my first marriage quiet. More than that, Julie. It was the kind of marriage you had, wasn't it? A partnership for blackmail. A partnership to work the badger game. That's why you paid him the $3,000 you drew from the bank. That's why. It was worth that to keep Melvin from knowing what I used to be. But it was no good, so I ran away. I ran away and I've been running ever since. You've got nothing to worry about anymore, Julie. Except one thing. Whether Alex will have me now. That? Maybe that. But the other thing. Your husband's been murdered. You had the motive, the opportunity, maybe. And you're running away... Murderers do that. I've been terribly impolite. I've been listening. You don't mind that, do you, Mr. Clover? Glad to have you aboard, Rupert. Your name was being bandied about. I'll kill him. So help me, I'll kill Take him! Take it easy, Julie. Thank you, sir. Else I would have killed her before your very eyes. Like you killed Max? Yes, of course. He had the body of an ox, but his insides were not fortitudinous at all. Yellow is the word for Max Magnificent. 
<laughs> I laugh at the name. <laughs> Why did you come here, Rupert? I've been following you, Mr. Clover. I want you to be happy before you die. Now that you found Julie, you'd find me. Then you'd try to have me executed for murder. I just couldn't stand that. One more thing, Rupert, just to make me a happy man. You said Max was yellow. I said it because I meant it. He suddenly changed his mind about blackmailing Julie. Let the kid alone. She deserves a break. Those were his very words. <laughs> I tried to argue him out of his faint heart. There were words. He had muscles. I had a knife. <laughs> I won the argument. Julie, you had such poor taste in husbands. You ruined it. You ruined everything. Julie, watch you, out. You fool. Oh. I told her. Yeah, you told her. Good. Rupert crashed into the washstand. The gun clattered out of his hands. And then, like some crazed animal, he scurried for it in the half-light. So there was only one thing to do. Then I bent over Julie to try to help her. To somehow ease the pain of the wound in her shoulder. And she did something strange. She shook her head and motioned me away. And in her eyes, there was something that could have been agony or happiness or something I didn't know about. When the ambulance came, she walked into it and lay down and fell asleep. Rupert was different. He screamed and tore at my face. So I had to give him the anesthetic once more. Broadway's wearing its harlequin clothes, and it winks an eye and beckons. And a pale and hungry girl walks its pavements like a queen, because Broadway's a dream street. And a fat man stands with begging eyes, because he just found out his last dream didn't come true. It's a laugh or a cry, with nothing in between. It's Broadway, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway, my beat. Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia. The musical score was composed and conducted by Alexander Courage, and the program was produced by Elliot Lewis and directed by Gordon T. Hughes. The cast tonight included Vivi Janis, Bill Johnstone, Virginia Gregg, Jay Novello, Junius Matthews, and Larry Dobkin. <laughs> Molly Goldberg's being visited tomorrow night by an old flame, and Jake's really burned up. Yes, romance has flowered in the Goldbergs' apartment this week, and this Saturday night, Jake takes action against Molly's old bull. Be listening when the Goldbergs come to you on most of these same CBS stations in their new Saturday night time tomorrow night. Joe Walters speaking. This is CBS, where you find Broadway's My Beat every Friday night. The Columbia Broadcasting System. 
That's Broadway Is My Beat from February 10th, 1950, with the Julie Dixon case starring Larry Thoris, heard on CBS. You know, for the last few weeks, we've been playing a five-part Yours Truly Johnny Dollar series, and everyone seems to love it. I know it's Mike Costello's favorite classic radio show, but we've been getting a lot of texts, a lot of emails. Oh, keep keep up with the Johnny Dollar. Well, we have another five-part adventure for you. This is called The Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote Matter. It stars Bob Bailey. This is part one of a five-part adventure from April 9th, 1956. Here's yours truly, Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Harry Branson at Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. Oh, hi, Harry. What's on your mind? I have a case for you, a very important one. Good. Tell me about it. John, did you ever hear of Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote? Lord, who... Say that slowly, will you? Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote. Sorry, I left my kilts and bagpipes on the other side of the drink. Huh? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling real sharp this morning. But what about this Laird Douglas Douglas something or other? Uh, can you come down here to Philadelphia and see me? I hate to be so blunt about it, old boy, but what's in it for me? A nice retainer fee in any event. Well, good. And, of course, expenses and your regular commission if anything happens to Laird Douglas Douglas. Of Heatherscote. Uh, why, yes. Okay, Harry, I'm on my way. Oh, oh John. Yeah? Uh, come down by plane, will you? The first one you can get. Urgent, huh? Yes, John. Very. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To Harry Branson at the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote matter. Whoever Laird Douglas Douglas is. And whether investigation is the proper term at this point, who knows. In any event, well... Expense account item one, twenty-two fifty, air transportation and miscellaneous, Hartford to New York to Philadelphia. For a change, I decided to stay at the Benjamin Franklin, not only because it was convenient to Harry Branson's office on Walnut Street, that is the office of Philly Mutual Liability and Casualty, but because I'd heard it was a nice hotel. It was. And it was convenient to everything else in the center of town. Theaters, good restaurants, nice stores, even a nightclub. Well, anyhow, when I got to my room, I found a half dozen urgent messages that Harry had called. Pretty good indication that his lordship, Douglas Douglas, of... Or at least this case was pretty important. So instead of bothering to unpack, I had the bellboy dump my luggage, tipped him, and was standing there debating whether I'd better forego a quick shower and change of clothes when the phone rang. Johnny Dollar. John, didn't you get my messages? Why haven't you called? I've been waiting to hear from you. What's wrong? Hey, take it easy, Harry. I just this minute got in. Oh. Well, I hope you're coming right on over here to my office. Well, what's the matter? Something happened to this client of yours? No, not yet. But being you, you're expecting the worst, huh? And look, you still haven't told me a thing about this emergency or whatever you want to call it. John, it is an emergency because of the time element. You see, oh, why do we waste time on the phone? Well, this was your call, not mine. All right, all right, I'm sorry. I'll be waiting for you. And Harry, I'll be there. Still knowing nothing whatsoever about what was going on, I decided I'd better be prepared for anything. So I slipped a 38 cold out of my bag and took it along. Expense account item two, 65 cents, cab fare. 
I've said it before when I handled the Amerigo case for him. Harry Branson is a good insurance man, but a worrywart. So I kind of hoped he was making the usual mountain out of the usual molehill this time. However, when my cab pulled up in front of his office building, he was standing waiting on the sidewalk out front. Hey, I keep the change. Thank you, sir. John, John, what took you so long? Huh? Thank goodness you're here. Harry, what are you doing out here? Lose your office or just forget the key? I almost wish I had. John, we have a problem. A serious one. Yeah, with Laird Douglas, Douglas of, uh... Heatherscoat, Heatherscoat. He's up in my office yeah, now. Sounds like international intrigue. Has Scotland declared war on us or something? This is no time for levity. He's up in the office now, and you must take over immediately. It's a very serious situation. Come. Okay. Oh, now, what's it all about? Has Laird Douglas died and... Oh, no, no, you said he was up in your office. And I'm sure you don't mean just his body. Yes, he's there with Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyten. Kelly Van... Huh? Are you kidding? I certainly am not. You see, she insists that you act as his bodyguard. Oh, now, wait a minute, Harry. Unfortunately, or rather fortunately for you... 13th floor, please. Yes, sir. Unfortunately... I said 13th floor, operator. Please, quickly. Yes, sir. So, Harry? Unfortunately... Young man, will you please start this elevator immediately? Gotta wait for the signal, sir. Signal? This is an emergency. Take off! Immediately! Emergency? Yes, it involves Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope. Oh, well, sure, if it's... Who? Good man, good man. <sighs> okay. Now, you were saying, Harry... Was I? Uh, unfortunately something. Oh, oh, yes, of course. Fortunately for you, she was quite cognizant of the fact... Who was cognizant? Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyten. She knew about the excellent work you did for us in connection with the Ricardo Amerigo case not long ago. Excellent detective work, she called it. Thirteenth floor. You remember the case, Ricardo, the concert violinist who disappeared, presumably. Yeah, murdered. I remember. And your almost intuitive deduction that he wasn't dead at all, but had merely staged the whole thing to make him uh, look as the... Harry. Uh, yeah. Oh, yes, of course. Thirteenth floor. You mean uh, Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van... Excuse me, mister, but I'm getting signals from the other floors. You're quite right, you should. As I started to say, John... She is one of our biggest personal policyholders. Good, good. But uh, hadn't we better get into your office and meet her? Oh, yes, yes. But I want you to know about the personal premiums. Alone, they run to something over $20,000 a year. Mr. Please. Well, she is an important client. Yes, yes. And that's why I Mr. didn't... Mr. Williams, I didn't please? hesitate to accede to her request that you be called in on this case. I called you, and here you are. Mr. Please. Hmm? Oh, well, get us up to the... Th oh, oh, we're here. Why didn't you tell us? Come, John. Mister, if I was to tell you what I'd like to, I... My office is right this way, John. Come, please. Hey, look, you better calm down, Harry, and give me the dope on this case right from the beginning. Yes. Yes, I'd better. All right. Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyten is a very important client, has been for years. So you said. But there are a lot of things you haven't said, like, uh, what has she got to do with this Laird Douglas character, and why is he so important? It's this way, John. The policy on him runs to $5,000. No double indemnity, which is good. As a matter of fact, the policy on him was purely a favor to Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten. You know, considering such short life expectancy and all. No, I don't know. Is he in his dotage or something? Well, hardly. Or are you being facetious again? But you said... Hey, how old is he? His birthday is next month, May 7th to be exact. He'll be four years old. Four? That's right. Short life expectancy? Of course. You see, John... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, some horrible disease or something, huh? What's the matter with him? John, you wanted this from the beginning, so I'll give it to you from the beginning. Okay, but Harry... If it you're... hadn't been for Mrs. Van Pyten's own policies totaling something in the neighborhood of half a million, uh, more in fact... Harry... Why, we'd never have written the one on Lord Douglas Douglas of Heatherscoat. So, 
Now, we've cleared that. Harry, we passed your office three or four doors ago. Hmm? Oh, yes. <laughs> but uh, as I'm sure you understand, I wanted to give you some of the background before you talk with Mrs. Van Pyten. After all, you asked for it. Yes, yes, I guess I did. But uh, what you've given me so far has landed me smack dab in the Department of Utter Confusion. And I'm beginning to think maybe I have company. Oh, where? Who? Right here. You, Harry. Now, look. Why don't we quietly stroll into your office and let me get the whole thing from Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten herself? Or better still, from Laird Douglas Douglas. But you couldn't. Of course not. What? At least not from him. Why not? John. Will you please stop joking? Who's joking? This is serious business, very. <sighs> Look, Harry. Yes? There is one thing I'd like to talk over before we go in to see him. Them, somebody. Yeah? Well, apparently the life and or welfare of this Laird Douglas Douglas is in danger. Oh, no doubt about it, no doubt about it. I thought I'd made that very clear to you. Yeah, well, you said you've written only a $5,000 policy on him. That's right, $5,000. And purely yeah, as a... Yeah, 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 I know all about that. Now, look, I don't want to seem crass about it, Harry, but my commission, if anything were to happen to him, wouldn't amount to a hill of beans. Which is precisely why I told you you will be paid a retainer while you're on the case. A most generous one. A generous one? By you? By Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten. How much? Well, John, now, mind you, this may not require your services for more than a week or so. As bodyguard, that is. How much? And, of course, she has authorized an expense account. Ah. But, mind you, John, not the usual kind that you seem to have the knack of piling up beyond all reason. Clearly, a completely honest, legitimate accounting... Harry, how much? Well, as a matter of cold fact, I have assured her that it will total no more than the amount of the retainer she is prepared to pay you. Any more than that, and, uh, well, you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Harry, how much is this retainer to be, if I take the case? I might even go so far. $750 per week, or a fraction thereof, and I am sure you will agree that that... What's the matter, John? $750 a week, plus expenses, when there's only a $5,000 policy involved? That's right. But if this four-year-old Laird Douglas Douglas of... of, of, of... Heather's coat. Yeah. If he's only worth a $5,000 policy... What was that crack about short life expectancy? John, I told you he is already four years old. He... Oh, look, start all over again, will you, Harry? Yes. No, on second thought, perhaps you were right. Perhaps you'd better get the details directly from Mrs. Peter Malcolm, Malcolm Kelly, Kelly Van Pyten. I know. Now, look, Harry, I, I think I'd better. I'd better get it from somebody. You're Incidentally, not... John, you understand, of course, that your services will be required only during the affair at Bala Kinwood. And not one minute there. No, thereafter. I don't understand. What's Bala Kinwood? Out around Westchester, outside the city, one of the suburbs. Very nice suburb, too. That is where Laird Douglas Douglas... I've had this coat. Yes, John, that is where he will appear. And you or Mrs. Kelly Van Pyden, or both, if you think his life will be in danger. Exactly. Oh, John, I knew you were just joking me all the time. I wish I knew. Uh, here we are, and everything will be clear. Yeah. Oh, thank heavens, dear Mr. Branson. I was afraid something had happened to you. You were gone so long, you really had me quite worried. Oh, I'm so sorry, but I had hoped to tell Mr. Dollar something of this affair, and I'm afraid we loitered on the way up. Uh, Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten, this is Mr. John Dollar. Oh, you wonderful, wonderful man. I'm so glad that you've agreed to take on this assignment. You see, Laird Douglas Douglas means everything to me. And I have the utmost confidence in you. I'm sure Laird Douglas will, too. Well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, but 
Where is he? Why, yes, Mrs. Van Pyken, what's happened to him? Oh, don't worry, don't worry, my dear. He's all right. But after all, he is so temperamental. I fear he got a bit impatient waiting for you, and I know you'll forgive him. You will, won't you? Yes, yes, of course, but where is he? He's asleep, Mr. Branson, in your inner office. He sat down in your chair and fell fast asleep. Oh, if I could only relax that way. But you must meet him, Mr. Dollar. Yes, I'd certainly like to. Of course you would. And I know he'll want to meet you. Gently now. Oh, good, he's awake. Oh, no. That's Laird... Laird Douglas, Douglas of Heatherscote. This is Mr. Johnny Dollar. Hey! Holy jumper! Hey! Douglas, no! Let go of Mr. Dollar's leg! Douglas, dear! Douglas! Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's, uh, intriguing? Well, tomorrow's episode of this week's story. Tomorrow? Well, I've handled some pretty doggy cases in my time, but never as a pooch's bodyguard. But suddenly this one begins to smell much too strongly of murder. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Roy Rowan speaking. That's Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, part one of a five-part adventure called The Laird Douglas, Douglas of Heatherscote Matter, starring Bob Bailey. That's from April 9th, 1956. Drivers, please stay alert when driving in all of our child-filled areas. Arrive alive, don't text and drive. This message from Fisk, Cart, Katz, and Regan. For information on the services they provide, call 312-726-1833. 312-726-1833. Fisk, Cart, Katz, and Regan is on the air reminding everyone to not text and drive. Also, Jim Regan is thanking everyone for years of practicing law. All right, more of the WGN Radio Theater after these words. In our next hour, we'll tune into The Adventures of Red Rider from 1942, plus it's part two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar from 1956. We'll see you after the news. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. I am your host, Carl Amari. Lisa Wolf here. We're here every Saturday night from 10 p.m. till 3 o'clock in the morning, bringing you the best in classic radio. And in this hour, it is Red Rider from 1942, plus we'll have part two of the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Don't forget, we have a classic radio club. This is a club where many, many people, our listeners, have joined, and they get 10 classic radio shows sent to them each and every month via digital download or on five CDs in a collector case. And now I hand choose five shows, kind of the best of the best of my library of over 100,000 classic radio shows. These are all direct from master recordings. And it's a lot of fun because I comb the library and then I say, ooh, this show, it's a really great show. Let me put this aside for the Classic Radio Club. You'll get all kinds of great shows each and every month by being a Classic Radio Club member. 
Lisa gets the digital downloads, right, Lisa? I do. And I'm just thinking what a great time it is to appreciate classic radio. This is kind of a respite yeah. um, for everyone during this time of chaos. And I know a lot of our listeners have really appreciated this time of our show to sit back and relax and take their mind off of what's going on and enjoy some classic radio. And the Classic Radio Club is a way to extend what we're doing here on WGN Radio Theater. So if five hours in is, isn't enough for you, mm-hmm. which we can totally understand right now, check out the Classic Radio Club at ClassicRadioClub.com. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. It is time now for a good Western. This was a radio show based on the popular comic strip by Stephen Schlesinger and Fred Harmon. Came to radio in 1942, lasted all the way to 1951. For a time, it actually beat its rival, the Lone Ranger, in the ratings. Now, this was billed as America's famous fighting cowboy. Red was a cowhand who acted as a deputy sheriff going against bad guys and bringing them to justice. Red never killed his enemies. He only shot the guns out of their hands. That was nice of him, you know? Well, that must be a sharpshooter. <laughs> he was. Red uh, the Red Rider was played by Reed Hadley, also Carlton Cadell and Brooke Temple over the run. There were 35 Red Rider movies, believe it or not, plus a serial, but... It did not ever make a transition to television, although there were two pilots produced. We have a radio episode for you now from March 12th, 1942. This is called the Casa Grande Valley with Reed Hadley as Red Rider. From out of the West comes Red Rider, America's famous fighting cowboy. Oh, that pony, little beaver. We're heading for the Casa Grande Valley, and there's hard riding ahead. You bet you, Red Rider. Get along. Get him up. Get Get going, Thunder. Hit that trail. Come on, Thunder. The Adventures of Red Rider. Having left Red Rider and Little Beaver in their last adventure in Dobytown, we now find slippery Ace Hanlon plotting a fresh scheme against America's famous fighting cowboy. Ace Hanlon's repeated failure to defeat Red Rider have brought him to the point of desperation, and now we find him planning to get Red Rider out of the way for good. In a back room of the Silver Dollar Cafe, Ace gives stern orders to one of his trusted henchmen, upon whom he depends to square accounts with Red Rider. Come in, Butch. Shut the door. Yes. Listen, Butch. Red Rider's outsmarted us so many times, I'm getting tired of it. What are you planning to do, Ace? Hire Pedro the Kid, the toughest gun toter in this part of the West. Sounds good, Ace. Where'll I find this Pedro the Kid? And the Kid's been hired by a cattleman named Aaron Ames to guard his cattle. 
And the only thing that stands between us and Ames cattle is Pedro the Kid and maybe Red Rider if he comes horning in as he usually does. Do you follow me? You mean to put the deal over? We got to get rid of both Pedro the Kid and the Red Rider. That's about it, but it's got to be done smart. And you can't hire Pedro the Kid to get Red Rider. The Kid's too smart for that. Well, how'd you figure to do it then? Butch, this is one of the cleverest ideas I've ever figured out. You see... The kid has a sweetheart in Las Palmas named Juanita. Yeah. She's a dancer in the cantina there. Mighty pretty, too. <laughs> uh, the kid's awful jealous of Juanita, and it'd make it plenty tough on any man who even looked at her. I savvy what you're driving at. But how are you going to get that Red Rider into setup like that? Maybe you don't even know her. Listen, Butch, I know Red Rider better than you do. It's part of his highfalutin code never to let a woman down who's in trouble. Oh. Now, here's a letter with Juanita's signature on it saying she's in danger and appealing to Red Rider for help. You figure that after Red Rider goes to help the lady in distress, you'll tip off Pedro the Kid. That's it. And he'll hunt up Red Rider at the cantina in Las Palmas and find him with Juanita. Finish him off, is that it? That's the deal. Now, here's both letters. One addressed to Red Rider and the other to Pedro the Kid. You're to deliver them and be sure they both get them. After Pedro the Kid puts Red Rider away, all we got to do is to rustle Eames cattle because there won't be anyone to stop us, eh? Sure as shooting. Uh, the only job ahead of us then would be to swim the herd over the Pecos River where we can make delivery and collect our money. Yeah, I get the idea all right. <laughs> it's starting to rain in Hardy's. Yeah. I'd better head for Eames Ranch and deliver them letters. Floods may swell the Pecos so we can't get the cattle across. So long. Uh, out the back way. The horses are tied out back. Yeah. I'll meet you at the cantina in Las Palmas. It's up to you now, Butch. You can count on me, Ace. Confound this storm. Getting blacker than your hat. Bad start. Yeah, but a good ending. <laughs> Well, little beaver, here we are at Mr. Ames' ranch. What we come here for? Well, Mr. Ames sent for me. I reckon he's in some kind of trouble. Well, there he is now, coming out of the corral. Hi there, Mr. Ames. Hi. Heard you wanted to see me. Yes, I do, Red. There's something powerfully irregular going on around here, and I want you to help me to get to the bottom of it. I calculate you know, Red, I got the biggest and finest herd on this range. That is, I did have... Or the rustlers started stealing me blind. What have you been doing about it, Mr. Ames? I'm getting so plumb tired of it that I up and hired the, the most famous gun toter in these parts. That is, uh, excepting you, Red. And who might that be? Pedro the Kid. Well, I've never had the honor of meeting Pedro the Kid. But from what I've heard of that gent, he ought to be able to handle the job satisfactorily. Pedro and the boys are doing all they can when it comes to shooting it out. But I got a notion we're up against a powerful organization. We can't lick him. Until we find out who's behind it and just what they're up to. Well, to tell you the truth, Mr. Ames, this smacks of Ace Hanlon's doings. Yeah. I've been trailing Ace into these parts, and the trail leads to Las Palmas. Oh. That's where I'm heading for now. And after I've had a look around, I'll let you know more about it. I'll appreciate it, Red. Looks like we're in for a storm. Yeah. Well, come on, little beaver. We'd better get going if we aim to get across the Pecos Creek before she floods. Hey, wait a minute. Here comes a fellow loping up the trail. Looks like you've got another visitor, Mr. Ames. Hello. Hello. Hey, are you Red Rider? Yeah. I've got a letter for you. Here. Thanks. Hey, wait a minute. Who sent this letter? I don't know. I just told her to deliver it. Ah, ah. Uh, 
Oh, that's a mighty peculiar way to deliver a letter. Well, let's see what it says. Me read them? No, little Peaver. I'm afraid this is a little too deep for you. I'll read it. You listen. Well, it says, Red Rider, kind senor, I'm in great danger. You never fail a lady in distress. Please help me. Be at Cantina in Las Palmas this afternoon. Signed, Senorita Juanita Gonzalez. What's up, Red? Any trouble? Oh, nothing. Just a letter, Mr. Ames. Oh. You'll hear from me. So long. Come on, little beaver. Come on, Thunder. We can't get to Las Palmas too soon, little beaver. The rain's beating right through my slicker. Me no need him slicker. Me take him off shirt and pants and let water run him down skin. <laughs> well, I can't go around like you do, little beaver, in a breech cloud and a feather. Even if I do get something wet. You no worry, Red Rider. You get him more wet when we cross Pecos Creek. Flood come. We swim him horses. Looks like we're in for a swim and a cold one. In their creek by willows. See him? All flooded. Look him, Red Rider. One man swim him horse. Drown sure. So you're right. That fellow's in trouble. Current's too strong for his horse. Horse swept downstream. Man drowned sure. Come on, little beaver. Huh. We've got to help him or he'll go under. Come on, Thunder. You stay here, little beaver. Oh, if he can hang on to that log, I can reach him with my lariat. Hang on, partner. I'm going to throw you my rope. Get ready. Hurry, amigo. I can't hang alone. All right, ready. I'm making the throw. Here it comes. Hang on tight. I'll pull you in. I ain't hanging on, but I ain't full of water. There you are, stranger. You're safe now. Uh, thanks to you, amigo. If you had not come along when you did, I would have been a gone. Uh, I, I would not mind getting wet, but I am in a big hurry to get to Las Palmas. Well, it happens we're in a hurry to get there, too. Uh, uh, there's a letter in my coat pocket. I'd better take it out and dry it. I'm going to need it before I'm through with the man I'm after. Now, I'm not prying into your affairs, stranger, but I'm wondering if we're after the same man. Why do you ask that? Well, it may be coincidence. But I just got a letter addressed to me in that same handwriting. Let me see that letter. Well, I don't mind you seeing it. Here they are. You are the man I'm after. I am if you're looking for Red Rider. But seeing as how you're after me, it's about time I know who you are. See, si. Pedro the Kid. Well, Pedro the Kid, before we get any more tangled up in this here Chinese puzzle, I think I'd better have a look at your letter. You can't read it, but you better have a good answer ready. It's going to be gunplay between you and me. Well, to boil it all down, whoever wrote that lying meddling letter, and mind you, the skunk didn't even have nerve to sign it, says that I'm interested in your girl, Juanita, in Las Palmas. That's plain enough. The question is, are you? No, it isn't true, because I never even met the senorita. Fact is, I never even heard of her until I got this letter. Yeah. Well, you just saved my life, and I'm dead sure you would not lie to me. But whoever's behind this trick is going to answer to me when I get to Las Palmas. Now, wait a minute. There may be more to this than you think. Now, we're both working for old man Ames, trying to bust up the rustlers who are stealing his cattle. Hey, how come you working for Ames? That's my job, and I don't need no help. Well, Ames figured I could catch the higher up, and I'm pretty sure I'm on his trail, Ace Hanlon. 
Now, it's plain that whoever's behind this letter-writing business aimed to have you kill me to get me out of the way. Uh? And more than likely, they planned the same thing for you. Then with us both dry ghosts, they'd have a clear field for running off Ames' whole herd. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? See, si, it sure does. The floods let up and the creeks down some. Come on, let's swim that stream and hit Los Palmas with the guns blazing. Now, not so fast, Pedro. Remember, we don't know yet who we're gunning for. But I've got an idea how to find out in a hurry. Oh, uh-huh. let's have it. Well, Pedro, these letters were planned to involve us in a quarrel over your Juanita, whom I don't even know. That's what it looks like, all right. Well, we'll fool them by making them think we've swallowed their bait. We'll pretend to quarrel over Juanita. Uh-huh. And to make it look like the real thing, you can shoot me with a blank cartridge, and I'll do my level best to act as if you really got me. <laughs> bueno. <laughs> Juanita will play her part after we told her what to do. If the gents who wrote these letters are watching, they'll think she's madly in love with you. <laughs> yes, and if my plan works and they think I'm dead, I figure they'll begin to show their hand. Uh, oh, before I forget and I shoot you with the real bullets, I better pull the lead out of these cartridges right now. Be darn sure you do, Pedro. I hear you're a dead shot. Return to the adventures of Red Rider in just a moment. We return now to Red Rider, Little Beaver, and Pedro the Kid after they have crossed the swollen Pecos Creek. Arriving in Las Palmas, they had a secret meeting with Pedro's sweetheart, Juanita. Red Rider explained to her his plan for fooling the writers of the fake letters. Juanita was instructed that her part in the play acting was to make it appear as though she were in love with Red Rider. Pedro the Kid was reminded by Red Rider to make sure that the bullets in his gun were blanks. In the cantina at Las Palmas, Red Rider is watching Juanita as she finishes a Spanish dance. That was mighty fun dancing, man. Sure looked good to a lonesome cowpuncher. Oh, I am very happy you like it, senor. Maybe a lonesome vaquero would like to enjoy Juanita's company for a little while, no? Yes, ma'am. I mean, senorita, I sure would. <laughs> Just sit right down and make yourself to home. My name's Red Rider. Oh, so you are the very famous Red Rider, El Caballero Rojo. Oh, every senorita from here to the Rio Grande, they will be jealous when I tell them that I have met the daring, the very handsome Red Rider. Now, Miss Juanita, I know you're just play-acting, but it's mighty embarrassing to hear you say things like that. Say, Pedro ought to be here by now. wonder what's keeping him. You like Juanita just a little bit, No. Oh, here comes Pedro now. Now you must pretend to like me very well, much. Well, the Lord and Coyote was trying to steal my girl, eh? Oh. So, it is you, Red Rider. The rest of you, clear out of here while I comb this hombre's hair with a six-gun shooter. Oh. He watching. All right, little beaver. You hide under the billiard te- table and keep your ears open. Now, Pedro, and you, Juanita, remember, we got to make it look like this is a real fight. See, si. Red Rider, you've been trying to steal my girl. That is so. No, Juanita. See, si, si, that is true. 
Red Rider, he make eyes to me. He say, I love you very much, Juanita. He say, I take you away from that skunk, Pedro the King. Ah, you heard what she said, Rider. Si. I'm going to make you eat them words. I've set my eyes on Juanita, and she's going to be mine, Savvy. That's it, Rider, because I'm going to put windows in your skull. I'm calling you, Pedro. Hey, roll your gun, Red. Querido, the bad hombre is killed. Oh, you got me, Pedro. Come on in, boys. He's got Red Rider all right. Dead as a tornado. <laughs> well, congratulations, Pedro, for blowing his light out. No way. I'm carving another notch in my gun. Oh, no offense, Pedro. I, I just want to thank you for hanging up the hide of this here Red Rider. What's that to you? Hey, who are you anyhow? Why, I'm Ace Handlin. She Red Rider did me a lot of dirt. So to show my appreciation, I'm handing you this little wad of dinero. 500 pesos to go and have yourself a good time on me. Nobody <laughs> pays me to do my killing, sabe? Well, uh... But, uh, seeing this is just between friends, well, I'll have some cigars on you. <laughs> oh. 500 pesos <laughs> worth. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Take your little bus <laughs> down to Tombstone, Pedro. Yeah. Paint the town red and don't come back till you've spent the last peso. <laughs> gracias, senor, gracias. I'll roll along to Tombstone. Adios, senor Hanlon. Adios. Adios, Juanita. Adios, Pedro. Hasta la vista. Quiet. Oh, Ace, he come now to table. Listen to everything they say. That sure does my heart good. Well, Red Rider, that evens a long score. You better hit the saddle, Ace. Yeah. We'll never get Eames cattle across the Pecos if it keeps raining. Yeah, we head for the upper range where the main herd is. We'll drift them down. We ought to be able to swim the cattle across the Pecos for nightfall. Come on. Sure. Let's go. Have they gone, Juanita? See, si, they have gone. Well, I'm never so doggone glad of anything in my life. Uh, I got a crook on my back from lying so still. <laughs> <laughs> well, Juanita, it worked. Now we know what Ace is up to. Pedro ought to be back by now. Oh, there he is, waiting in the back door. Be right with you, Pedro. Hola, Pedro. Hey, bonita, bonita. <laughs> well, Red Rider, I got to hand it to you for the smart ideas. You've drawn the ace handling's fire. Now, when do we close in on him? Ace is headed for the upper range of the Ames Ranch. We'll cut in between Ace and Pecos Creek and break up the drive. I'm with you. We both got a score to settle with Ace Handling, Pedro. He would have had us murder each other. See. Si. Now, little beaver... You stay here with the senorita. Me go with you, Red Rider. Big fight with Ace Hanlon. Little Beaver, remember, help him squaw in trouble. Me member. And senorita, if anything happens, all you've got to do is send Little Beaver to me and I'll come a-riding. See. Si. All right, let's go, Pedro. Hey. Come on, Thunder. There's rustlers on the range. Up, Thunder! Too late, Pedro. They've got Ames herd nearly down to the river. The flood's gone down, they'll get the herd across. It's going to be hard to stop now. We must turn the herd back. And there's only one way to do it. Open this spillway on Pecos Creek. The dam ought to be brimful after this big rain. All right. Let's head for the spillway. We can get Hanlon's man after we turn the cattle back. Wait a minute, Pedro. Uh, Here comes a little beaver. And from his signals, I'd say something has happened. What's the matter, little beaver? You look as if you'd seen a ghost. Me no see him ghost. Me see him Ace Hanlon's men. They come back and Tina. Take a Juanita away on 
horse. What do you mean? Not so fast, little beaver. Explain carefully now. What happened? Ace Hanlon's men come back on Tina. They hear him seen Aretha laugh and say a red rider no dead. He gone stop rustling Mr. Ames' cattle. Then what? Seen Aretha no see him bad men when she talking. She try to run. They throw a blanket overhead, carry her to horse. Where they take her? Me follow him to cabin in Bear Canyon near here. Me show him you. That's the line rider's cabin in Bear Canyon. I'm hitting straight for there now. Hold on, Pedro. Here comes one of Hanlon's men. Let's see what he's got up his sleeve. Little Beaver, you keep undercover and don't let him see you. Me hide him. Oh. Well, what do you want? Oh. I got a message from Ace Hanlon. All right, come on. Well, what's the message? We haven't got time to burn. You thought you'd put it over, Ace, with your fake shooting act at the cantina and playing dead, didn't you? Get to the point. You better oil your tongue, Raid Rider. Ace is dealing out the terms, not you. And if you and your friend Pedro the Kid care what becomes of his Spanish gal, you'd better mind what you say. The yellow lever coyote, I'll kill him! No, wait, Pedro. Don't lose your head. We'll call his hand. Well, if Ace can't find his battles without picking on women folk, what's his proposition? I'll get it straight, Reed Ryder. We know you're trying to bust up our chances of swimming our herd across the papers. You mean Ames' herd, don't you? Go on. Well, he ain't gonna stop us, see? You're turning your horses around and heading right back where you came from. And if we don't? And if you don't, Pedro the Kid won't be seeing that senator his for a long, long time, Savvy? don't tell me where they are holding her, I'll kill him. Wait, Pedro. Let me handle this. All right. I reckon you got us hogtied. We're not so interested in those cattle that we want to expose a helpless girl to danger. Now, if we lay off the cattle... What proof have we that the senorita will be released unharmed? You've got Ace's word that the minute the last steers across the river, the senorita will be safely on her way back to Las Palmas. Hanlon's word isn't much good. I guess I'll have to take it. Sure. Now, you go tell Ace we're pulling out our freight. Yeah, all right. Come on! Hey! Come on! Come on, Pedro. What's the idea of you backing down this way? We're not backing down, Pedro. We're just playing the game our way and not Hanlon's. What are you driving at? I'm only worrying about Juanita. You know the location of the spillway gate on P- Pecos Creek, don't you? I don't. Now you hightail it up there and open that gate. And forget Juanita? What do you take me for? I'll go to the cabin in Bear Canyon and get Juanita. You handle the spillway gate and we'll have Ace Gang between two fires. Uh, if you will not be homely to save me from drowning, I'm going to argue with you. But you're all right. I'll do it. All right. All right, come on out of hiding, little beaver, and show me the way to Bear Canyon. I got that speedway open by the time you get back. Hurry! Hey, Kimalo, if you do not let me go pronto, Ace Hanlon, my Pedro will shoot your heart out, and Senor Red Rider will hang your hide on the corral gate. Ah, I'm not afraid of your Pedro, the kid, or Mr. Red Rider either. Oh. Now that he's still alive, I'm just waiting till I can meet him face to face. I'm right here to accommodate you, Ace, face to face. Oh. Well, you've got the drop on me, Red Rider. Throw down that gun and I'll collect enough of your hide to make me a saddle. Drop your gun first. And there's mine. Now hop to it, Ace. Nobody's holding you back. I'm the man to finish you, and I'll do it. Oh, we bravo, Red Rider. <laughs> the boastful Senor Hanlon. He has looked more dead than you did in the cantina. Yes, and he'll wake up with a headache after a while. <laughs> a little beaver. Tie his hands and feet tight. Then we've got to get out of here in a hurry. Juanita, you ride Hanlon's horse. See? Now, Pedro's up at the Pecos, opening the spillway gate. We've got to work fast if we're going to save Ames' cattle. (laughs) 
we are at the top of the ridge, senorita. We can see the Pecos from here. I hope we're in time. Yes, the herd's still on this side of the creek. Oh, the whole valley, she is filled with cattle. It's a rich hole for Ace if they can get them over to the Pecos before we can stop them. But gosh, it looks like they're going to make it. The lead cattle are starting to swim the stream. But where is Pedro? You say he's going to open the spillway gate? That's got me puzzled. He should have been there by now. See, did you hear them shots? See, look, Pedro, he over on Creek Bank. He fight him for life. Who's seeing puffs of rifle smoke? Counting the puffs of smoke, it's about six to one against Pedro. Oh, you must save him, Red Rider. Pedro be killed. Don't worry, Juanita. Pedro's more than a match for those saddled stiffs. But I got to get there that stillway and open the gate for those cattle, or they're as good as lost. Trouble is, I don't know the location of the spillway. Will you come with me? I show you. That's luck. With the gate open, I can swing around and throw lead into those hombres ganging up on Pedro. All right, let's go. Come on, little beaver. Follow the senorita. Lake's full of water. This is going to beat all the floods of history if we can get that gate open. Here is the gate, Red Rider. You turn the big wheel and then the spillway open. Mira. I get it. Keep away from the edge, little beaver. She'll go with a bang and take you with her. The wheel's rusty. Stuck fast. No, no, she's moving. All right, get ready. And keep your eyes on those cattle when she goes. Downstream faster than a horse can gallop. Madre mio, the cattle, they will all be drowned. The first ones will. But look, the lead steers are turning around. They see it coming. Cattle swimming up. You save Mr. Ames herd. You bet we have, little beaver. The best part of the herd is going back to high ground. We've only lost a dozen head and we've blocked Ace's grand play. Hey, We forget all about my Pedro. No, we haven't. This job is done. Now we're off to clean up those hornets buzzing around your Pedro. See? You keep undercover with the little beaver, Juanita, and don't come out until the bullets stop flying. Oh. All right, come on, Thunder. Leather fans has skedaddled. I'll say they lit out. They passed me so fast, I felt like I was backing up. You got the gate open. You bet your sweet life I did, and I put the kibosh on Hanlon's cattle steel. The herd is safe on this side of the Pecos. That's good. How about Juanita? She's safe. Here she comes now with a little beaver. We both owe you our lives, Red Rider. Oh, Bonita, Bonita. Oh, Pedro. We must do something to thank Senor Red Rider. Ah, see. I told you what, Red. Let's all of us take a little passear down to Tombstone and paint the town red with the 500 pages of Ace Hand. Oh, <laughs> Tombstone, Red Rider, put a more paint on town. You betcha. Pedro, I don't blame you for wanting to forget about business. But Little Beaver and I are going back to that cabin and settle with Ace Hanlon. Adios. Adios, Red Rider. Adios, El Caballero Rojo. Come on, Thunder. Get him up, Papoose. Hit that tail, Thunder. Rider find Ace Hanlon in the cabin back in Bear Canyon? Or will the famous cowboy discover that Hanlon's men already have released their leader, making him free to continue his plotting and scheming? Be sure and listen next time for the further adventures of Red Rider. And that's the adventures of Red Rider from March 12, 1942, with the Casa Grande Valley with Reed Hadley starring. 
And, uh, you know, there's not a lot of those episodes in existence, uh, but the few that we have are in good quality, and we wanted to play that for you. Hope you enjoyed that. But right now, it's part two of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, from April 10th, 1956. This is the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote Matter. Hope you enjoy this. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Ray Rowland, Johnny. Oh, hi, Ray. Just got your message. What are you doing in Philadelphia? Oh, a case for filling mutual liability and casualty, and I may need your help. What do you know about Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote? Why, he's one of Scotland's finest. Wait a minute. That's your case? Yep. Insurance? And bodyguard. How's about lunch? Johnny, have you met the... Have you met his lairdship? Yeah, and I nearly lost a leg doing it. Oh, then you know. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Oh, shut up. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. To the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company, in connection with my investigation, or rather my involvement in the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscote matter. And I wish I'd had some idea of what I was getting into before I ever left Hartford. But it's too late now. Expense account item three, $39.50. One pair of slacks. For within a few minutes of my arrival in Philadelphia, Harry Branson of Philly Mutual buttonholed me and dragged me up to his office to meet two important clients he had. First was Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyten. Oh, you wonderful, wonderful man. I am so glad that you've agreed to take on this assignment. Laird Douglas Douglas means everything to me, and I have the utmost confidence in you. I'm sure Laird Douglas will, too. And then came... Well, Mrs. Van Pyten made the introduction. Laird Douglas Douglas of Hedderscote, this is Mr. Johnny Dollar. Huh? Oh, no. <laughs> Holy jumping... Douglas! Douglas! Oh, no, you mustn't do that. Oh, my. Douglas, oh, dear. Do good heavens. Get on oh, your own chair, Harry. This one's no, taken. No. Sorry, John. Sorry. Down, Douglas. Down. Oh. There, dear. That's the boy. That's a nice boy. That yes. is now. Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope? Yes, isn't he adorable? He's so playful. He was really just playing, you know. There, dear. Come now. Harry. Yes, yes John? This yes. is the client you call me all the way down from Hartford to see? Yes, John. Yes. Seven fifty a week. Practically unlimited expense account. Oh, dear. Just look at your trousers, Mr. Dollar. I don't need to, thanks. I can feel the draft. But you'll need new ones. Here. And I insist you let me pay for it. Down, Douglas, down. Here, Mr. Dollar. Will a hundred dollars be enough? Uh, he... No, here, a hundred and fifty. I can see those are very, very nice. Well, uh, you see what I mean, John? Here, please. Now, I insist you take it. And if it isn't no, enough... No, 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 thanks. That's plenty. But now, Harry, you listen to John, me. John, I know what you're going to say, but as I explained to you on the way up you here to my office... You explained plenty, but not nearly enough. But I tried. I really I tried. I think you and I had better have a quiet little talk, Harry, and the sooner the better. Oh, boys, please, can't you do that another time? Please come down from those chairs so Mr. Dollar can meet Douglas and we can make all the arrangements. 
Please? Mrs. Van Pyten, that's precisely what I want to talk about. <laughs> you really look very funny up there. And C. Douglas does want so much to be friends with you. Yeah, you're sure it isn't a piece of my leg he wants. Oh, no, of course not. Here, Mr. Dollar, just give him one of these biscuits. I have them specially baked for him. And he'll be your friend for life. Really? Huh? Here, now just come down and hand it to him. Well, He'll love you. It's true, Jod, I know. Yeah? Then what are you doing up on that chair? I I forgot, that's all. Nice, Douglas. Huh? Please, Mr. Dollar. Well, hey, oh, all I hope is he doesn't forget. That's right. Just hand it and to him. And then he knows which is biscuit and which is my hand. Yo, uh, here, boy. Here, boy. Now, take it easy, take it easy. Oh, oh. Now he's your friend, well, isn't that sweet? Yeah, yeah, sure is. Well, well, I'd better get back to my hotel and change it. Harry, I'll call you. Oh, but we haven't made the definite arrangements yet, and I want you staying out at our place in Germantown, the Maples. It's a lovely little place, Mr. Dollar. Well, much as I hate to say it, I'm, I'm not quite sure about taking oh, this Oh, I know. The money. Well, don't you worry about it. Not at all, not one bit. If you'd rather have a thousand dollars a week, that's what we'll make it. And I do wish Mrs. you'd let Van me Pyton. do more about these poor trousers. I know. Why don't you go straight over to Wanamaker's men's store and have them tailor you a whole suit? Wouldn't that be nice? You'd look lovely. You've already given me more than enough oh, to buy a suit. that. Now, just forget it. Now, you have them make you anything you want and just charge it to me. Oh, and look! Douglas here is licking your hand. I knew he'd like you. Never underestimate the power of a woman, somebody once said. Or maybe they should have said never underestimate the power of a fast buck or a thousand bucks. Anyhow, Mrs. Peter Malcolm Kelly Van Pyten had set her heart on my handling this whole affair, and she simply wasn't to be denied. Couple that with a chance to pick up enough loot in a few days to, uh... Well, what would you do? And the darn mutt did take a liking to me. So, with Laird Douglas Douglas in my lap... Oh, he's a Scotty, by the way. A Scottish terrier, Mr. Dollar. If you'll pardon my correcting you. Sorry. And it's all because of the show at Bala Kinwid on Friday. Bala where? B-A-L-A-C-Y-N-W-Y-D, John. Yes, Bala Kinwid. Laird Douglas Douglas simply must win. Not only best of class, but best of show. And he will if somebody doesn't interfere. Oh, you uh, you think somebody might uh, might do something to, to uh, Douglas? Here? I'm sure of it, because it's been tried before. You mean poison him or something like that? Worse. Oh? Dope. Poison would let him die a hero, a martyr. But drugs would keep him from winning the show. Oh, yeah. Well, what makes you suspect somebody might try it? As I said, it's been tried before. Huh? Last year and again a few days ago. And if Harrison R. Kenworthy thinks he can do it again, he's mistaken. Then you know who did it before. I refuse to divulge any names. But you just said... Mr. That... Dollar, I will not tell you. All I ask is that you watch over Laird Douglas Douglas until he has won the show. Oh, and if he does win, as I'm sure he will, I'll insist that you accept a nice bonus. So you can see, I'm very, very serious. And so it went on for another half hour or so. And finally she left, after I'd promised to pick up my bags at the hotel and move out to her joint in fashionable Germantown. 
I talked a few minutes longer with Harry Branson. I'm so glad you've agreed to take this on, John. As I told you, Mrs. Van Pyten is the most important individual policyholder we have, and doing this favor Harry, for us... Harry, it's not the Mutt Show at Bala Kinwood or Laird Douglas or Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten or you I'm doing this for. It's purely love of the green stuff. Whew. That old dame must be really loaded. John, she has so much money. She, well, she doesn't know how much she has. Industrial empire, that sort of thing. All right, all right. But Harry, if word ever gets around in the trade that I came down here to play bodyguard to a mutt, so help me, I'll have your head. <clears throat> yes. Uh, but now, hadn't you better go on out to the Maples? Well, first I want to know about this Harrison R. Kenworthy she mentioned. Oh, that. Yeah, that. She accused him of doping up her Scotty. Well, she really doesn't know, and it, it's really quite complicated. What do you mean? Kenworthy owns a beautiful Kerry Blue Terrier, Lady O'Diddy's Rollamar Maine. Lady O... Holy cats, and no pun. Why can't they give an honest dog an honest name? Look, we'll call her Mimi. Go ahead. Hi, dog lovers. Ray, just in time. Meet Harry Branson, Ray Roland. Oh, we know each other. Hello, Harry boy. Mr. Roland. Sure, Harry called me in last year when these two dogs were at each other's Of course, throat. he doesn't mean that literally, John. You see, Mr. Roland is quite an authority on show animals. I've held it against him for years, ever since school. Well, there's no need to hold it against him. And I don't mean that literally. Oh. Well, John, boy, so you came down to help yourself to a handful of dear Mrs. Kelly Van Pyton's coin. More power to you. I knew Harry would call you in on the case. Felt it in my bones. And, brother, you may be in deeper than you think. Oh? What's that supposed to mean, Ray? Has Harry told you about the villain of the piece, Harrison R. Kenworthy? I was just starting to when you so rudely... Yeah, well, Johnny, the whole setup is a riot, but just remember one thing. Yeah? A lot of people have been killed in riots. Now, what's that supposed to mean? I'll tell you what he means, Let me tell it, Harry. It would take you all day. Sorry, no offense. All right. Go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. Okay. Bella Kinwit is the biggest event of the year in the doggy set. Okay? Okay. All right. Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten owns Laird Douglas Douglas of Heatherscope. Real fine Scotty. Yeah, good tea, see? Hey, those pants are really gone. Anyhow, Harrison Kenworthy owns Lady O'Diddy's Rolamar meme, Carrie Blue. Mimi. Huh? I'd get indigestion trying to say that other name. Okay, Mimi. They're two pretty good dogs, especially Mimi, international championship blood and all that. But Mimi's the better dog. Douglas won't stand a chance. I've tried to tell her this, but... Well, go on, go on. Okay. Harrison Kenworthy loves Kelly Van Pyten, see? Oh, loves her money. Him? He's loaded, too. No, I think the old coot really loves her, and I think she loves him. Right, Harry? Yes, I think I'm inclined to... Right, but now get this. Yeah? She won't marry him until her Laird Douglas beats his Lady O'Diddy, uh, uh, Mimi, far and squar at the Balakinwood show. How do you like that? Are you kidding? Oh, no, John, it's an accepted fact. Right, so what happens for over a year Wait a minute, Ray, wait a minute. If he really wants to marry her, why doesn't he just let her dog beat his? And let her be one up on him right from the start? Never. No, boy, he'd never live it down. You don't know these people. Well, this is about the craziest thing I ever heard of. You and me, sure, but to them it's deadly serious. Are they in love with each other or with their dogs? Well, it's not just love where the dogs are concerned, but pride, which is just about all a lot of these old lonely millionaires have to think about, to live for. Yea, sometimes even unto the fifth and sixth generations. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll take your word for it. But now she said something about her dog being doped at the show last year. Oh, yes, John. You see, it was just a couple of days. Right, just before the finals. It was an attempt to murder the dog with poison. But emergency care both times pulled Lair Douglas through. She told me it was only some kind of a dope that oh, was used. Oh, sure, sure. We kept the truth from her. You don't realize it, boy, but if that dog were to die, she would. Fact. Oh, now, Ray. Oh, yes, John. And the insurance company must keep that dog alive in order to obviate having to pay right. off... Right. After all, her policies amount to a right. It may sound absurd to you, Johnny, but it's no joke. As I said, you don't know these people. But look, it still doesn't make any sense. You just have to take my word for it, and it's happened right here in Philadelphia. Yes, John, and we held the policy. It was an old lady. Right, so there you have it. (sighs) 
Okay, okay, I'll, I'll believe you. And so the finger points at Harrison R. Kenworth. Well, she might like to think that, uh, especially since she doesn't know that poison was used both times, but I don't. What's more, the police feel the same. Oh, now, if you say police dogs, I'll slug you. John, there are times when the sense of right, humor of Harry, yours... dead right, and I do mean dead. No, in all seriousness, Johnny, if I were you, I'd duck out of this assignment. Now, don't say that, Ray, unless John... No, 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 go go ahead and say it. Something ought to start to make sense around here. All right, listen. The reason I'm sure Harrison R. Kenworthy had nothing to do with the attempted poisonings, the reason the police were called in, the reason I think you ought to get out of this... Well, you get to the point, Ray. On each occasion, Mrs. Kelly Van Pyten had a bodyguard attending Laird Douglas, in addition to the dog's governess and medicos and so on. Get to the point. Each time, in order for the poisoner to get to that dog... Ray, please. Each time, the bodyguard was murdered. Still want this case, Johnny? Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, well, the joke's no longer a joke. Especially when a killer trains his sights on me. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, part two of a five-part adventure starring Bob Bailey in the Laird Douglas Douglas of Heather Scott Matter.